What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And before we dive into today's amazingly exciting episode, we want to thank all of our sponsors. And that that is the people that are part of the Bestseller Academy, our Academates, everyone who's joined us in September last year and January this year. We salute you because it is because of you and our patrons that we can do this podcast. So thank you so much for supporting us. Mr. Stay, how are you today? Well, I'm 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 in a very good mood. I'm in a very good mood because this has arrived. Uh, <gasps> now this is this is for the video viewers, but um yes, uh finished copies of my book, The Crow Folk, The Witches of Woodville, Part One by Mark Stay, uh have arrived. And oh my they gosh, look- that moment. Absolutely gorgeous. Okay, so a couple of things, Mr. Stay, a couple of things, as is the tradition on this podcast. And if you're watching this on YouTube, yeah, 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 you you see Mark's already (sighs) sniffing the inside of his book. It's something that you have to do. You have to. How do, what's the vintage of this book? How's it smelling compared to like previous books you've written? It's it's rural. Rural. Oh, it's full of mystery and magic. (laughs) Oh, and some, some peril. Oh, but it's not as rude as the ones I've done before. There's no, no swear. There's no swearing no in this one. Can you swe- imagine? Oh, I wrote Stan. a book without any swearing. How in it. on earth uh, is that yeah. even possible? I know. <laughs> well, it's 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 in a rural village in 1940, so uh, there, there uh, wouldn't have been a lot of effing and Jefford around about then. No, but, you know. But yes, we we must thank uh, Penilla Hughes, our uh, member of the um, uh, BXP team and patron and author, best-selling author, uh, for for starting the sniffing tradition amongst uh, the bestseller Academy writers and uh, BXP team writers because she she's the one who turned us on to this. Is this the right phrase? <laughs> yes, so <laughs> could well be you very new book, fetish. You give it. You give it a good sniff. But what I will say, and this kind of ties into the interview that we've, we've got with our very special guest. Um, I know when you open the book, and we've all done, uh, you know, well, we haven't all done them, but if you've been published, if you've got book publishers, uh, books from a publisher, you do those unboxing videos where you yeah. act all excited. I did one for The End of Magic. I'm going to be doing one for this, but it, it won't be an ordinary one. It will be something a bit fun. And I know we're all supposed to be dead excited and everything, but I tell you what, the truth is every time I've done one of these, I get a little bit of fear and a little bit Mm. of melancholy because I open it up and I look at it and I think, did I work on this hard enough? (laughs) You know, did I, was, could I have done one more draft? Could I have, was I paying enough attention to copy edit and the proof edit? Was I, and you just suddenly all the doubt fairies come and sit on your head. <laughs> and it should be a moment where I go, yeah, look at my book, it's amazing. But otherwise I'm sitting there going, oh, bloody hell, it's real. So, um, yeah, we talk about this a bit later. but uh, Absolutely. But here's yeah, the thing, I've- though, here's the thing. Worst, worst ever book opening in the world. I'm sure this must have happened somewhere in the history of people getting books. They open the book, they 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 rip it open, they, they pull a book out. They look at the amazing cover and it looks great. The print is beautiful. It's glossy. It's gorgeous. They sniff the book and then they <laughs> they look back at the page and the first thing that they see is a typo. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine? I bet you yeah. that's happened. So there's a lot to fear, but it's great. It's great that you're being honest about it because it should be one of those, one of those, it should be a highlight of your life. I mean, let's be honest. It should be one of those moments that should be, 
you know, someone should take a photo of you doing it. You should have the video. Um, but it is there. There is it's it's been such. It's a bit like it because it's been such a such a long journey to get to that moment to hold it. I think that's where the intrepidation is because you're never quite sure. I mean, it's more relief, I guess, if you if you find you see it and you think it does look okay. How do you feel after that initial? Uh, the doubt fairies have kind of like you've told them to 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 bugger off. Do you then enjoy <laughs> the moment, or are you still kind of thinking about should I've written another draft? I think I'm. Um, I mean, the thing is, we've we've got good read reviews and they're good and we've got net galley reviews and they're good so people are reading it and they're enjoying it which is a huge relief so so for me that's the important thing yeah. i mean i guess this is the, the melancholy also comes because this is the point where it's not my book anymore mm. it's come off the laptop screen it's gone to a publisher it's gone through the editorial process but this is now this now belongs to the readers and that's something it's taken me a couple of books to get used to that idea, that this is no longer my book. This is the reader's book. So the reader will hopefully get to the end um, and and draw their own conclusions and their own they'll they'll visualize the characters their own way. They'll they'll see the sequences, the action sequences and the fun bits. It's theirs now. So it's no longer mine. It's like, well, you've you've had a you've had oh. a you know, you've had a child go off to university, haven't you? you know, Just so, two days ago. Yeah. yeah. So oh my it's, gosh. It's, so it's Absolutely. it's uh, it's like bye, bye, off you go into the big bad world book. Have fun. I did yeah. my best. I did the best I could for best you. Best I know? could. And that's you know, as parents we say the same thing at the end of the day, it's the best you, you, you we can never be perfect parents. You're never gonna have a perfect book. I mean, we've talked yeah. about this in the academy, there's no such thing as a perfect book because that would mean you'd never actually release it because you'd always be tweaking and tweaking and tweaking until you yeah. die. And then no one ever gets to read it. So I think it's super important. You know what it is? It's actually a process of letting go, which is some, one of the hardest things that we have to do in life at any anything that we do, whether it's you know, me letting go of my my lovely daughter who's gone to university last Sunday, which I, I, my old, I mean, that moment, I mean, it was like the weirdest mixed emotion, which is must yeah. be like releasing that book. It's like, on the one hand, you're really proud that the, the, the book's finished, but on the other hand, letting it go, it's like it's another milestone in your life where, you know, it's no longer something that you can influence. I think that's the most important thing is, right? Yes. Because, you know, yeah, I think you so. can't change I mean, it, you can't tweak. Well, you can with ebooks, I guess, in some weird way, but but with, I mean, yeah, with hard uh, copies, right? Yeah, at least your daughter's going to get an education. I've sent this poor thing to get beaten up at Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And book clubs and libraries. Oh, fantastic. But well, yeah, it's great. I'm so very happy. Very happy. Yeah, it's actually in a weird way. It's like if it's like, you know, when you're a parent and your child goes off and leaves home, you're hoping what you're gonna be enjoying is all of the successes that they have. And you can kind of sit back and say, I had, a, I had a little bit of a role that played in that and you can enjoy it. Whereas with a book, it's just like the one star reviews. It's like, yeah, your kid's just been arrested. Uh, they were they were peeing down the back of the pub, uh, you know, at 12 o'clock at night, you know. Um. <laughs> Robin Williams talks about that when you become a parent. He says there's there's two reactions. One is you, you imagine your child standing there saying, I'd like to thank the Nobel Prize Committee. And then you've got the other, the other version where they go, you want fries with that? You know, <laughs> Yes, Your Honour. Oh, goodness me. Brilliant. Well, listen, I'm, I, for one, am absolutely chuffed to bits that you hold that, you're holding that book in your hand. I want to see the girth of it, Mark. Can you, can you give me a bit of an angle on the girth of the book, please? There we go. Because the girth is important. And, and the page, let's have a look. That's nice. That'll look good on a bookshelf. It will. It's a beautiful colour, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lovely colour. This is slightly unfortunate because it, it will look great on a book table on a bookshelf, but all the bookshops are closed so, <laughs> over here in the UK. So uh, yeah, so it'll it'll um it'll have to bide its time until uh, we get back to something resembling normal. But you know, Absolutely. but I am I am having a launch evening. I'm having a launch. So come to Facebook and YouTube. I'll be putting probably by the time this episode goes live, I'll be. Sp- spamming it all over uh, Twitter and Facebook and what have you. So come and find me and there'll be links and we'll be doing giveaways and all sorts of fun stuff. And uh, so, yeah, come to that. And, it's, and for everyone listening who, who's who's going through this process or will be going through the process when you've written those six magical characters, T-H-E space E-N-D, when you finish your book. And we're going to be talking about the importance of finishing book in this amazing interview we've got coming up. So I'll tell you guys, folks, you've got to get the kettle on this is one of my favorites of all time and we are on today episode 300 i believe 
Yeah, I think it is. I, I think, think some is. of the numbering went a bit weird around the two hundred and seventies. I think only by one, but but it is it's officially a episode three hundred. So I think we should celebrate, Mister Stay, three hundred yeah. episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. That is pretty bonkers. He says, rubbing his eyes with tiredness. I know, I know, I am. Oh, it is exhausting. It is exhausting. <laughs> but um, yeah. you know what? I think we should we should give ourselves virtual pats on the back mm. from our respective kind of Canadian and and, and British homes because um, there's not many podcasts. How many podcasts have had over 300 episodes? I mean, I know some people do these ridiculous shows where they do like one a day and they're up to like episode 40,000 or something. <laughs> but 300? Is, yeah. there, is there such a thing as a 300 club? Maybe there. Maybe I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure there must be. I might get sent some kind of plaque in the post by some random podcast association. The podcast gods. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No one's told us to stop yet. That's the important thing. So we will well, keep that's, going. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. As long as people keep showing up to listen. And we thank you for doing that, by the way. Yes, uh, thank you. Because talking to ourselves is the first form of madness, I believe, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, and thank you. I mean, we'll do social media at the end. Um, but thank you to everyone who's been recommending us. It's, it's weird. At the beginning of January... Of course, a lot of people have New Year's resolutions. They they want to write a book. They want to join in the two hundred word challenge. They want to you know achieve their goals and everything. So, seen a lot of people saying, "Oh, you know, check out the bestseller experiment." So maybe we've got lots of new listeners this week. So apologies uh, and well done for getting this far. Absolutely, <laughs> and also we want to just say thank you to everyone that's doing that because it does make a huge difference. Um, what we'd like to encourage people is if you'd like to support this podcast by becoming a patron, please do bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Um, but if you can't do that for whatever reason, then maybe you could just put us out on all your Facebook and Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter accounts, and just tell everyone if you love this show, then just tell them that you love it and ask them to come and have a listen. Because um, we always say selling a book, best way to sell a book is word of mouth. Word of mouth. And same goes for our podcast as well. So we would, we've got some goals to grow this podcast again this year. So if you could be a part of that, we'd be eternally grateful. Um, so, Mr. State, I think we should really dive into this week's absolutely brilliant interview. This one just took me out. I wasn't expecting this at all. Uh, we, we do a lot of interviews and I, I was gripped from the minute this one started and there's so much good stuff. So tell us a bit about um, the incredible interview this week you did with Rich Leader. Rich is a screenwriter and novelist. His books include the Kate McCall Crimes Caper series, Juggler Porn Star Monkey Wrench. Now there's a title. Uh, Let There Be Linda and his new book, Cooking for Cannibals. Uh, Rich has been the lead singer in a Detroit rock band, a restaurateur, Little League, Little League coach, indie film director, literacy tutor, all sorts of other things. Uh, he's also, his screen credits include 18 produced TV movies for CBS, Lifetime, Hallmark, and feature films for Paramount, TriStar Pictures, Left Bank Films. And now he's a novelist who writes funny books with a new book called Cooking for Cannibals, a dark comic thriller with a heaping helping of romance. Excellent stuff. So let's dive in and have a listen to Mark chatting with the amazing Rich Leader. Rich Leader, welcome to the Best Seller Experiment. How are you today, sir? Doing great, Mark. Thrilled to be here. Oh, we are delighted to have you on board. You've had this extraordinary career, which I can't wait to get into. But very excitingly, you have a new novel. Well, I'm hoping it's a novel because it's called Cooking for Cannibals. Please reassure me that this is a work of fiction. Yes, it's a work of fiction and it is not a cookbook. Ah, <laughs> we just lost half our listeners there. <laughs> and it's described as a dark comic thriller with a heaping helping of romance. So, so how did this one come about? So... You know, you never quite know how any of these things come about. It's not like I know any cannibals and I don't know anyone who knows any cannibals, you know, and I don't know anyone who knows anyone who knows any cannibals. So where that idea comes from is uh, who knows where. Uh, remember the movie Cocoon? Yeah. Uh, I always thought it'd be fun to do sort of my take on that. You know, those old folks were just so charming when they yeah. found energy in youth and you know, my old folks are a little less charming than that. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, I love crazy thrillers. I've always loved them and I still love them. I, I, I like to find two people who shouldn't be in the same country and put them in the same room in the wildest situation possible and see if they can fall in love. And so I have two really great stars in this book and um, it's a wild story. 
really wild uh, about a drug that profoundly reverses the aging process. And I mean profoundly and stolen, stolen from the lab by a woman who brings it to her mother's old folks home and (laughs) gives it to the old folks. And miraculously, they get much younger and the the best versions of themselves ever. Uh, And then uh, an unexpected side effect presents just a little bit later, uh, cannibalism. And so it's, it's a... It's a crazy ride because she has to fall in love with with the cook who's stuck cooking, you know, for the cannibals. <laughs> it's meant to be funny. You know, I write it to be funny. Uh, I guess the way Tarantino is funny. I, I write it to be funny. Uh, but you find yourself saying, why am I laughing at this? How can I be laughing at this? Is this funny? And it is. It's hilarious. Well, sometimes those, those are the forbidden laughs are the best laughs of all you know yeah uh, it's it's stuff you, you know you're not so i mean that's the thing when you're a kid uh in class or whatever and you know you're not supposed to laugh that's when you get the giggles isn't it it's the same yes. instinct yes I, I agree with that and i i love those stories uh i can't help who i am i'm a hollywood kid you know i learned how to tell stories and in in los angeles and uh, i'm a high concept hollywood kid i like to start with a concept that you just go oh my gosh that's crazy and then run from there yeah no definitely well let's let's talk about that because you were you're a script reader for caa mgm universal among many many others you you read over 900 scripts tell us about that job as a script reader, which uh, some, you know, in the UK people might not be familiar with that and how that works. Because very often for screenwriters, it's the best way to get into the industry, isn't it? I, I Well, there's lots of ways into the industry, uh, none of them easy. Uh, I fell into this one. Uh, in, in Hollywood, uh, there are countless scripts, you know, 25 or 50,000 new scripts a year. And directors, actors, executives, um, producers, they don't have time to read all these scripts that are presented to them because they're doing their jobs. You know, they're working. So they have readers, people who read scripts for them and then write what if, what effectively is a book report on the script, which is called coverage, which is a couple of uh, pages of synopsis and a half a page of introduction and a half a page of comment at the end and then a recommendation, either pass or read or consider or whatever, however that entity handles their coverage. So when I first got to LA, I I, uh, thought that might be a good gig for me. And I started to read and I read for two and a half years before I started to make movies. And I read 900 scripts and that was graduate school because while I was reading all of those scripts, um, I was also reading the classic scripts that I would find in the offices. You know, here's the Godfather. Hey, you mind if I take this home? Here's Dead Poet Society. Uh, Can I bring this back next week? You know, I was reading all the great scripts at the same time that I was reading all the scripts that were you know, way less than great. And I, I think that was sort of graduate school for me. It's really where I learned what works and what doesn't and how to do it and what not to do. And yeah, great experience. And, and that's the thing. Back back then, that was pretty much the only way you could get your hands on those scripts. So of course, many of those classic scripts are, are available online, you know, for free now, pretty much legitimately as well. There are resources where you can get these scripts. But when when you were reading the 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 let me let's just say the the nascent scripts the ones that maybe needed a little bit of development were you sort of looking at the common mistakes made by writers you were learning from that and what were those common mistakes overwriting uh in a script is uh is is a sin uh writing across the page as opposed to down the page you know people who think they're writing a novel when they're really writing a set of architectural plans uh really terrible dialogue. You know, mo- mo- dialogue is hard uh, for most people. Uh, I think it's a, a, a skill set that you're partly born with, much like music. You know, you either you can hear it or you can't hear it. Now, you can definitely get good enough at dialogue to, to pass yourself off uh, and write successful scripts. But can you teach someone to be Paul McCartney? 
No, I don't, I don't really think so. You know, he's born that way. And I think dialogue is a lot like that. It's a lot like music. Uh, so I, writing down the page, you know, make sure the script is the right flow and the right tone. Uh, telling a story is a craft. Most people don't spend enough time learning their craft, uh, partly because they don't get enough experience doing it. No, no one gives them experience. I was very, very lucky to be in a position to gain experience while I was learning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, um, I've had a couple of movies made and the the biggest lesson you learn is is when you get to the end of it you know when you've actually made a film and you see the finished film and you see the difference between what you wrote and what actually ended up on the screen and it really does transform the the way you write the next movie and I've I've often said to um you know people who want to write screenplays I said write write a two-hander write two people having a conversation over a table that's kind of the the omelet of screenwriting because you can film it on your phone you can edit it on a laptop and you will learn so much just from writing that little bit of conversation and cutting between it and seeing how much of that dialogue you don't necessarily need how almost much of all of it is on the, the answer page. yeah spoiler yeah, alert yeah. almost all of it <laughs> <laughs> But you had, uh, like I say, you had this incredible uh, writing career. You know, all these uh, movies for CBS, Lifetime, Hallmark, feature films for Paramount, uh, TriStar, Left Bank Films. And then in 2008, you you wrote your first novel, Juggler Porn Star Monkey Wrench, which is described as a romantic comedy with sex and juggling. Who could ask for anything more? Why why the switch to, to novels? Yeah, so when, as you know, when you're, when you're writing a script uh, – you're not allowed inside the character's head. There's no time other than voiceover, which is almost always a bad idea. There's no way to ascertain and access the, uh, the thoughts and feelings of a character. In a film, those things must be portrayed as action or dialogue. You want to know what a character is feeling? Watch what he does or watch what, listen to what he says. You're never going to go, and he was thinking, Johnny felt, you know, there's none of that in a script. And after, you know, 25 years of writing movies, I wanted to get inside the head of the character and write about that. Uh, I also wanted to, and, and the only way to do that is a novel. And and I, I also wanted to uh, lose the, the word count. I didn't want to be limited to 120 maximum pages. I wanted to see what it felt like to just write, to just start writing, you know, still beat it out. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a plotter, not a pantser, uh, to, to beat out my whole story. So I know what my story is, but to not be restricted by, well, I've written enough of this, you know, because I have to have written enough of this because we're out of pages here. We need to get to the next scene. (laughs) I wanted to just see what would happen if I just wrote and so I, uh, my, that's my first novel, um, which takes place. I didn't stray too far from home. It's the story of a screenwriter, uh, in, in LA and how he deals with the, the most ridiculous movie ever conceived. He's given, he's con- they convince a, a billionaire to fund an independent film about the phone book, uh, which, <laughs> which he calls phone book, the movie. And, and, <laughs> And of course, the juggler, porn star, monkey wrencher, the three women in his life, uh, the screenwriter, Mark is his name, Mark Manilow. And uh, it's just his crazy story of this moment in his life when he's trying to recover from uh, the end of his marriage, uh, gets involved, uh, unfortunately, with a porn star who won't leave, and then finally meets uh, the monkey wrench, the woman he wants to be with, uh, who won't deal with him until he can separate himself from the juggler and the porn star. And uh, it's it's very funny. It's a satire. Uh, I, I have pretty good insider knowledge of how that town works and the people who live there and all of it's in the book. Um, you know, I, I, some of it's true, Hmm. some of it's not true, but all of it is true enough. (laughs) Very good. And then you moved on to the Kate McCall crimes caper series. And, and then you started your own imprint laugh riot press. How did that come about? Cause you were self-publishing these, weren't you? Uh, yes. All my books are self-published. 
I, I wanted, you know, I, I did go the agent route. I had a New York City literary agent and we did go around to the publishing houses and uh, we got lots of very nice compliments, <laughs> but everybody <laughs> basically said the same thing. Too bad he writes funny books. Funny doesn't sell. And I thought, well, I don't believe that. I, you know, people love to laugh and my books are funny and they're meant to be funny. And if they're not going to publish them, I'm going to publish them because I want the books to be out there and I'd like people to read them. And so I did start uh, Laugh Riot Press, which is meant to publish my funny books. And if I ever got good enough at it to publish other people's funny books, but uh, so far I'm still just publishing my funny books. Uh, I, I write romantic comedies, uh, dark comic thrillers, and I'm uh, almost done. I'm seven eighths of the way <laughs> done with the fourth and final McCall book. That's a four book series. Fantastic. I saw an interview where you're talking about your writing routine. And very often we're told when as novelists, you know, it's a Stephen King uh, adage in on writing, which is close the door, shut out any distractions. But I saw that when you had young kids, I know we've got a lot of listeners who have families with young children who, you know, trying to find time. But you you wrote with the door open. I Can tr- talk yes. about that? Yes, sure. Uh, I, I had three kids under three. Okay. Uh, and we, we were living in Sherman Oaks, which is a suburb sort of of LA in the San Fernando Valley, which is right over the mountain there. Uh, and you know, that's, we were, I had, I wasn't, I hadn't been produced yet. So we really, I was still reading scripts. We didn't have any money. We lived in a two bedroom apartment with three kids under three. And I, I didn't really have a way to get rid of them. You know, they were there. (laughs) And if you shut the door, they stand there and pound on it and wail at you, you know? So I came to the idea that I would just leave the door open. And if they come in, they can crawl up onto my lap. They can pull at my face while, and I'm (laughs) going to learn how to write during this. And they're going to get bored and realize I'm not doing anything fun uh, and leave. And that's what happened. So I basically can write in any circumstance now. Uh, there is no distraction for me. I can be in a public place and just zone out and write, you know. That, that's, a, that's an incredible skill to, to cultivate. Because I saw also you have a mantra, which is write anyway. Can you talk yeah. about that? That's good, Mark. Yes. So you, your brain, a writer's brain, is always their worst enemy because the brain is telling you all kinds of things that are incorrect, nonstop lying to you, uh, either in a positive way, like, oh, dude, that's your dialogue. Love it. <laughs> Love it. You don't need to work on that anymore. You're done because writing is hard and the brain doesn't want to do it. Uh, and, and But it also will tell you other terrible things like, no one's going to like this. This is just garbage that you're writing now. What in the world makes you think that you're good enough to write something that people will actually read and like? It's impossible. You should quit now. Go have a bourbon. You like to do that much better than do that, right? Your brain will tell you all kinds of things. And for me, I I have these words. They're in my office right now. Uh, They've been in my office for 35 years uh, uh, on a piece of paper taped to the wall or up on a, in my office there, up on a little board. And the two words are right anyway, no matter what. You're going to suck for the rest of your life and no one's going to read you? Right anyway. Just write anyway. Keep writing, write anyway. No matter what they say, write anyway. And I, it's, it may not work for everybody, but it has pushed me through uh, seven novels and uh, 50 scripts. So it, it works for me because I, I have all the same insecurity and uh, moments of terror that every other writer has. Uh, but I, I just see those two words and I go, I'm just going to keep going. 
I'm I'm going to write anyway. Did that come? Was that something you arrived at? a way into your career or is that a mantra that you've always had? Because I just think that so much of uh, writing comes with experience. When you finish something and you get to the end of something for the first time, you realize, oh, I can actually do this. You know, finishing is so important, isn't it? Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, I can't, it's been so long for that. I I don't remember exactly where it came from uh, right anyway. I've just been saying it to myself for so long. I, I doubt I made it up. I probably got it from somewhere. I don't know, Sid Field or somebody. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where I got it, but I've been saying it's been mine, and I internalized it and made it my own for it's again thirty-five years or something like that. Uh, yes, it's incredibly important to finish. Uh, finishing itself uh, teaches you how to finish. Uh, which is what you just said. And and that is, the, if not the most valuable lesson, uh, certainly top three of lessons, uh, if you finishing is being, is being a writer, if you don't finish a thing, then I don't know how you're a writer. I mean, if you're writing, I guess you're still a writer if you're just writing and writing and writing, but it's when you finish a thing, no matter how good it is, no matter that it's only a first draft, no matter if it's a poem or a short story or a novel or a script, the, the act of writing the end, man, you're a writer. You just wrote that. I see that you, you often get asked the question, which is the favorite of your novels, and your answer consistently is you believe the book that you're writing now is the best one. Yeah, it's is, always is my that- favorite. It's always, <laughs> it's always my favorite. The thing I'm writing right now, I'm like, oh, this one's the best yet. I can't believe how good this is. You know, And then as soon as I finish it, I forget it and then move on to the next one. Uh, I, have, I have no shortage of stories to tell. Uh, and so I can't wait really to get to the next one. So the ones that I wrote, I love them all. They're like your children, you know. You know, I don't love any others more than others. I love them all. Uh, I love Cannibals, which is coming out uh, this month on the 14th. I, I love that book. Uh, I just think that is uh, incredibly unique, very original, totally insane, hilarious, dark story. Uh, really well-crafted, I, I, great dialogue in that one. And so I love that one. But I'm writing Gottigard, which is the fourth McCall book. And it's so good. I love it. <laughs> love it where I am. I'm almost done. <laughs> is, that, is that thing of writing something, being really, really passionate about it, falling in love with it, but then giving it away, putting it away? Is that a screenwriter thing? Because I kind of recognize that because when, with screenwriting, so. so much of it is out of your hands. You know, you've got you've got to get it optioned, you've got to get this, you've got to get budget, you've got to get actors on board, you schedule. There are so many barriers in front of getting a movie made. You kind of have to learn how to not get your hopes up, haven't you? Yes, that's exactly true. Uh, there's nothing but barriers. It's all barriers. It's a miracle when anything gets made. Pure miracle. Uh, so that is very, very true. Yeah. Now we talked about you talked about the you know, being rejected by publishers because of the, the kind of living fear of humor as a, as a genre, as a, as a way of writing. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that's um, because humor is so subjective, isn't it? But in your time for writing comedy and humor, any tips for writers? Is, is, uh, is, there, is there a knack to it? Is it like dialogue? Is it one of those things you kind of have or? Uh, no, I, I think it's easy. It's actually easier than dialogue. Uh, I think that I'm, I, I'm not an authority on what's funny. Uh, I'm simply trying to make myself laugh. If I'm cracking myself up, I have to believe that other people will think that's funny too. Millions and millions of people, probably not. But some people, I'm not the only one on earth who's going to think this is funny. There'll be other people. So I, if I'm laughing, then it's funny. And that, that's good enough for me. And I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb for anyone who wants to write funny books 
or funny scripts or funny poems or funny short stories. You have to make yourself laugh first. It ha- you have to think it's funny and then go with it. I'm so happy to hear this because I've been saying this for years. You know, people go, oh, you're laughing at your own jokes. It's, well, look, if I don't laugh at it, no one else will. I'm yes. the first. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Exactly. That's a hundred percent. Right. I agree completely. And I, I, I was astounded when uh, we went out with, to the big houses f- with the books that they, they didn't buy into humor because I would say, hello, Janet Ivanovich. Hello, Carl Hyacin. Are you people insane? (laughs) Donald Westlake. Come on. These guys are hilarious. John Irving is hilarious. He's very funny. I don't know. I I guess I, I, I couldn't, I, I, it's hard for me to, to, to fathom that, which is why I started Laugh Riot Press. If they're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great thing with self-publishing is you have that control. There are no barriers. There's no agents negotiating with Hollywood stars or, or agents, you know, thinking, is this funny or is this not funny? It's just you and the reader, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And and a lot of the most enjoyable parts of the book of publishing you get to do, which is be involved with the cover, uh, being you know, deeply involved with the editing, uh, the internal design, the interior design. Uh, all of those things are really fun. Uh, it, the marketing is a lot less fun, but even even uh, traditionally published authors now have to do their own marketing, unless you're Stephen King or Patterson or one of those guys. You know, uh, it's an interesting change I've seen during the lockdown, actually, which is a lot of traditionally published authors who would maybe go to festivals, maybe go to bookstores to do signings. They're now looking at indie authors and going. Oh, okay. I can do this, and I can do this, and I can do this, and they're really latching onto that now. Sure, so it's a fascinating and, and, change. And they're they're realizing that all they have to do is give those traditional houses the uh, hard hard copy, the the paperback rights, and hold their digital rights and make all the money from their digital <laughs> sales. Uh, some of them are realizing that too. It's it's a it's a good, it's a much better business, I think. Uh, to to be if if you can figure the business out and then do do it successfully or moderately successfully, uh, it's much better to do it yourself. It's it's the marketing is not fun, uh, but if but if you learn how to do it, it's it's not the end of the world either. Absolutely. Now, Richard, we've got to wrap things up soon. But um, we were talking just before the recording, and you you mentioned Sidney Poitier. Tell us about. The legendary Sidney Poitier. Okay, so I had a wonderful experience. Uh, I wrote a movie called The Last Brickmaker in America for CBS. Uh, it was a basically a spec on on my part. I, I I I made up a movie based on a photograph. This was so long ago, based on a black and white photograph. Uh, a producer faxed me back when there were fax machines. Faxed me a picture of this. A ninety-year-old uh, black guy holding a brick, and he was a very famous um, North Carolina brickmaker named George Black, and he lived in Winston Salem. And I and, and his picture was so this grainy black and white faxed picture was so in, was so engaging. It grabbed me, and I said, "I got to make up a whole story about this guy." And I did some research and made up a movie. And then by that time, I had had a few movies made, so I had a little juice. So I, and I knew I wanted Sidney Poitier to play this role that I had made up. And so I called his agent uh, and set up, or I had my agent call his agent, set up a pitch, and I pitched Sidney's agent and gave him the treatment. I wrote a two-page treatment, and we about a. Uh, 10 days to two weeks later, the agent called and said, Sydney would like to see five pages. And so I took my two pages and I made it a five page treatment and I handed that in. And about 10 days later, the agent called and said, Sydney would like to see 10 pages. And I took my five page treatment and I turned it into a 10 page treatment and I send it back to him. And about 10 days later, Sydney would like to see 20 pages. 
And I wrote <laughs> 20 pages of this, you know, not script, script uh, treatment, 20 page treatment with lots of dialogue in there and all of that. But, you know, really a lot of the scenes laid out and sent it to him. And then the next call was Sidney Poitier is now attached to this project. <laughs> okay. And as soon as we got that phone call, CBS said, you are in pre-production, so you better hurry up and write the script. <laughs> and so I did, wrote the script. I came to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and uh, went to the guy's house, George Black's house. Of course, he passed away years ago and uh, did tons of research and stayed in Winston and wrote the script. And then they started to make the script and there were several great stories. He's one of the most remarkable human beings, I think, that has ever <laughs> been around in film. And so, uh, but I have a couple of great ones. You know, he, I would, the first one was I, I wanted to shoot the movie in Winston-Salem, which is where it happened and where the red clay is. And there was some, there was one, there were several different produ production entities involved. And one of them wanted to shoot it in Canada and hire big trucks, like semis, and truck dirt up there, truck the clay to Canada and shoot it in Canada. And I was like, we're not doing that. That is not happening. We can't do that. And I, and I made a big deal about it. And, uh, and I told Sydney. And Sydney called, I don't know, he called CBS and he said, I want to wish you all the very best of luck in Canada, shooting the last brickmaker in America. Uh, I will not be there. <laughs> I will be in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, should you choose to shoot it there. And of course, that was the, that was the end of that discussion. We shot it in Winston-Salem. I just love that one. Uh, it was so incredible to work with him. It, it was really the film where I think I came of age. Uh, I had already made up some movies. And so I was an, I was an accepted, independent, you know, television movie writer in LA. I, I could go to meetings and everybody would go, oh, Rich, that's Rich Leader. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't feel it. You know what I mean? I, I, was, I didn't feel like I belonged. I, I was lesser than them, the producers and executives and director and the actors and all of them. I was somehow beneath them. But work, I worked with Sydney one-on-one -on, -one, uh, on set, just me and him talking about the movie and his character and his dialogue. And, you know, you're sitting across the table and, you know, one, one part of you wants to reach out and touch his face because it, he's so beautiful. There can't be any, there's no people who look like that. Yeah. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. so perfectly beautiful. And, you know, half my mouth is drooling and I just want to touch his cheek, you know, Oh my God. But the other half of me, had to say things like, Sydney, I don't think you have that right. Here's what mm. I was thinking. And this is how I think this scene goes. And so being able to do that with him one-on-one -on -one really gave me the sense of, I, I belong in this business. I can sit across the table from anyone, any actor, any director, any producer, any executive, and I'm the same as them. My opinion matters just as much. I've thought it through just as much. Uh, all of that. And that all, all that sort of confidence came from working with him. I was a different person in, in my business after that. That is wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, Rich. That's brilliant. Where can we find you online? Uh, Rich, R-I-C-H, leader, L-E-D. ER.com, richleader.com is my website. That's the best place to get to know me and also to reach out to me. Uh, lots of people reach out to me via email. I email everybody back. I love to talk to people, so don't be shy. Fantastic. And folks, Cooking for Cannibals, by the time this goes live, we'll be out now. So do check it out on all of Rich's books. Rich, thank you so much for speaking to us today. It's been an absolute joy and hope to speak to you again soon. Mark, I had a blast. It's really great to be on your show. You know, if there was, a, if there's the archetypal New York screenwriter, yeah. Rich, is it? 
<laughs> I mean, we this is this is one of those interviews where actually we were chatting for twenty minutes after I finished recording, and it was it was so oh. much fun. He's such a nice guy, so much passion and enthusiasm, and yeah, he's great. I could listen to him talk all day. Absolutely, Rich. Absolutely, Rich is a absolute diamond example of how to get someone hooked into your book. Like when he when he told us about the premise of cooking. Uh, for cannibals i want i literally wanted to stop the interview and go and buy the book i mean what yeah. an absolutely brilliant example of how to get a reader excited about your book and deliver it in such a powerful pithy way and 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 the confident way that makes you just think i've got to read this absolutely well that's brilliant. that's that's someone who has been in pitching rooms you know uh pitching to movie execs that's someone who can just rattle it off and has had to do it a million times or more so that that's experience that's that's real experience there yeah so yeah, yeah listen, listen to it. rich i absolutely love it yeah if you want a lesson in how to do it like um learn learn from the master he was absolutely brilliant um and i what i also liked as well is about his kind of journey so, I mean, it's kind of interesting because I know you've been on a similar journey of coming from screenplays and, and going to novels. I've, I'm kind of in the process of going the other way around, of coming from yeah. writing a novel to trying to write, write my first screenplay. And it's, and it's such an interesting kind of journey both ways around, I think. And one of the things that was interesting that Rich said was about how he was attracted to writing a novel because it meant that he wasn't limited by his word count. That must have rung bells with you, I'm guessing. Yes, that and being able to get inside the heads of the characters. That is such an appeal. And and for me, that was the big appeal for, for doing the Robot Overlords novelization because, you know, we'd had so much fun writing the script and there was so much stuff that we had to put to one side. I mean, weirdly, we probably, you know, we're pitching it now. We pitch it as a TV show, which is TV now allows you to almost dig as deep as you would with a novel. Um, but yeah, getting inside the head was the real opportunity for, for writing that book. And that was the real joy for me. And I discovered that I loved it as Rich has discovered that, that he loves it. You know, that, that thing of just, um, getting to know them, you know, which, yeah. uh, is, is wonderful. Yeah. He's got some brilliant quotes as well. I wrote a few down here. One of my favorites ones was some of it's true. Some of it's not true. <laughs> But all of it is true enough. <laughs> T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was but, uh, great. But, you know, coming back to uh, what we were talking about at the beginning, that sort of feeling that you're a uh, fraud, that feeling that you're not worthy, his, his mantra is right anyway because your brain is always lying to you, which I absolutely loved. And it's it's lying to you when you you think you're doing good and it's lying to you when you think you're you're doing bad. And the reason it's doing it is, is because writing is hard and the brain doesn't want to do it. I think we can all re relate to that, can't we? Absolute, absolute gold dust. I mean, right <laughs> there in those words for me sums up the entire struggle of writing because people are either find themselves in one or other or a complete mishmash of both. You're either one, the other. So let's let's talk about people that we've we've journeyed with um, in the BXP team in the academy. You know, we see people who who lack the confidence in their writing, even though they, their writing's amazing. There's something which is blocking them and telling them that it's no good, and and it's stopping them moving forward. Where whereas I can read their stuff and think this is amazing. What are they talking yeah. about, right? And yeah, yeah. so there's 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 one thing over there, and then there's other people that you know think everything they write's you know um so amazing that they they haven't spent the time honing it and they don't give it that you know once through or 10 times through or re-edits um and so it, you know i think people live in either one of those worlds and then if you get this really weird combination of the kind of almost bipolar writer and bipolar in the sense of those living in those two different universes depending on what day of the week it is that can be just the most incredibly difficult one because one minute you're up and then one minute you're down. I think it being able to self-assess your work is something that comes with experience. It's something we cover on the academy uh, in, in some detail, and it's an ability that you you that comes with experience. But you there are skills that you can hone to get better at that. And actually, the one-on-one -on -one sessions I've been doing with the academy, it's been uh, there's always an element of me reassuring people, saying, "Look, let me just say this is good." Your writing is good. Your ideas are good. Your pitch is good. This has this could be commercial. This could be a hit. This has so much potential. And I think they're just so relieved to hear it from 
someone else. Someone else. You yeah. know, that affirmation. Yeah. We always look for that affirmation from other people. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I think it's a skill you can develop, but, but when you're starting out, it's, it's really hard to judge. It is. The word that I use for that, Mark, is external validation. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that we struggle with as writers is that we're stuck in our own heads. And we, again, just like Rich said, you know, we tell ourselves lies all the time or, or not we tell ourselves, but the voice in our head, those, those, um, you know, voices that keep us small and prevent us from dreaming big, they, they, they stop us from believing or seeing the truth. Um, and I remember very specifically with, with my journey in music, it took a DJ actually to just rave. It was Bob Harris on Radio 2 of all people, but the most whispering, random- Whispering Bob, whispering, whispering Bob. Bob. The most randomest DJ that should never have ever promoted our stuff because he does country and we did like electronic music, but he played our stuff on his show and he just raved about it. And I thought, I haven't paid him. He's not reading what I wrote in the press release. He genuinely likes it. And at that moment, I suddenly thought, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe this is good. Maybe this is something people are going to appreciate. And, and it was literally like a light bulb came on. And I think for every single writer, you've got to get to that point where the light bulb comes on because then you can move on. And yeah, you can still have doubts and you can still question your stuff. And that voice will always be playing with you and messing you around. But there's a point, isn't there, where you go, you know what? I can do this. Someone's believed in me and it wasn't my mum and it wasn't me, you know, my partner and it wasn't, you know, my best mate. Um, it was somebody independently who didn't have to say what they said. And I think we all have to strive to get to that moment of what I call external validation, just so that we can start to believe it ourselves. And then, and then the universe opens up for you. Because if you start believing in yourself, God help you, because it's like strap your seatbelts on, you are on the way. That is such a big moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to Sort of following on from that, I want to address something that, that Rich said. He, we were talking about dialogue and whether the knack of writing dialogue is something that you're born with or can you learn it. And he said it's like music. And he said, you know, can you teach someone to be Paul McCartney? And he's, he's absolutely right. Paul McCartney had this, you know, inherent talent, incredible talent. I mean, his new album, Paul McCartney 3, wow. You know, all these decades later, we're still doing it. But now that you look behind me there, uh, there's there's a guitar there, okay? Mm. And I, I when I was 13 years old, I did that thing of saying, I want to like electric guitar and it was hard and I put it down and didn't pick it up for another four years until I, I did a play at the Edinburgh Festival with a band and suddenly I thought okay actually with three chords I can learn how to play this. 30 years later I'm actually a fairly good guitarist you know fairly good guitar I can mash through a few tunes you know whereas the, the flip side of that is dialogue comes really easy to me. I, I dialogue is my is my big strength, uh, and I love writing it. But I know a lot of writers will struggle with it. They will have real problems with it. But it's like playing that guitar. If you start practicing every day, all right, it might not take you thirty years. Hopefully, it's, <laughs> it's not. You know, but you develop an ear. You do develop an ear. So you might not be Paul McCartney, but you know, you 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 might be. Coldplay. Yeah. <laughs> and you can still sell millions, Mr. Stay. I'll tell you what, you know, it's a really interesting one. You had to get him in early, didn't you? Resist. Had to slip him in. It's only, it's only week three of January and Mark's got his Coldplay comment. It's always, bec it's always becoming as kind of like, <laughs> you don't drink that water, you're going to spray everywhere. It's, it's almost becoming as, 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 as much of a trope on this show as me talking about Glastonbury. <laughs> Which I only mention now because I haven't mentioned it in six yeah, exactly. months. At least. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's yeah. been a while, hasn't it? Well, I'll just check yeah. the calendar. When did, did you last mention Glastonbury? Did you play Glastonbury? Did, did you? I play Glastonbury? Did you? But um, oh my gosh, that's funny. Um, but <laughs> you throw me now. Okay, yeah. Here's here's a really important follow up to that point before you mention Coldplay. Um, I I do agree with Rich. I do agree with Rich on that front. But but I think if you if you take that 100% and go, oh, well, I'm not very good at dialogue. It's an opportunity for you to give up. And I don't want people to do that. Mm, what yeah, I would say great. is go onto my website, my my music website, musiclifecoach.com. I don't think I've ever even mentioned this on the show in four years. Musiclifecoach.com is my coaching website for musicians. There is a video on there, the second or third page, and it's of Ed Sheeran playing Jonathan Ross, one of his rec early recordings, right? And you know, you go see, you know, I'd, I'd seen Ed Sheeran work with him, like watch, you know, play in front of 80,000 people. 
before I saw this video. This video is him playing a song that he recorded before he was famous. And he could not sing for toffee. He couldn't hit a note. Go watch the video, musiclifecoach.com. Look for the Ed Sheeran article. It is the absolutely most painful bit of vocals I've ever heard in my life. And this is Ed Sheeran, the most successful male recording artist in the world today. And so he, his message was, you know what? You just have to keep working at it. And it's the same for absolutely everything. And, mm-hmm. and he went from that to, to being able to sing as he sings today. We'll put a, a link in the show notes to that because that uh, Ed won't thank us for that, but we'll put a link in the show. <laughs> but similarly, there's a, there's a very famous clip of Take That on – no, not Take That. What's the Irish equivalent? Um, oh, boy, uh, boy Zone. Boy Zone, yeah. yeah. On, um, like I know on, my boy bands, obviously. Yeah, exactly. On, on the late <laughs> – on the late late show in Ireland, and they're an absolute shambles, and it's <laughs> it's it's completely laughable. But of course, they clearly you know regrouped and said, right, we need to get our shit together. Yeah. Know? Well, here's <laughs> the thing, right? It's a bit like it's a, you know, as writers, you can tuck away that first book. You can you know you yes. can like like yes. you can just write it and tuck it away and get on with the, the the better second book maybe. But with with these kind of like recordings, they're there and they live forever. These are like you know you have to kind of live and die by what you've recorded on TV. So mm. I want to encourage everyone that this is a process. And here's the thing: this is this is the big moment, the big point in all this is that we all start somewhere. We're either like Mark, you're brilliant at dialogue. Um, you know, you've improved at dialogue, obviously, over time, but you, you found it natural. As somebody, like, I, I hear somebody open their mouth for the first time and sing beautifully. I'm like, oh, you suck. <laughs> Boy, oh, it's going to take me 10 years to be able to hit another. But the point is, is that we all start somewhere. But the other point is, is that no matter where we start, the more we practice, the better we get. And the more we practice and the more often we practice, the quicker we improve. So this is why the 200 word challenge is important. It's about doing it daily, stretching, exercises, no different from, you know, working with your voice. And so if you don't think you're good at dialogue, then practice, get better at it. Um, We dialogue, ironically, we dialogue every single moment of our life pretty much when we open our mouth. So we are good at it. I mean, as long as we can coherently speak with each other, we're good at dialogue. It's just how you translate that on the page is is the journey. Yeah. I mean, we we do... This again. This is all on the academy. We do a whole thing about dialogue and how it's not conversation. It's not necessarily natural dialogue. There, you know, there's heightened dialogue. Listen, we're running out of time as it is. We are. So you know, there's I could so spend much an to an talk hour, about. I could spend an hour rattling rattling. If you want, that, if you want to, yeah. if you want to get involved in the academy, the doors are closed now. We are full up, but you can get your application in now for when we next open so i I recommend anyone listen to this who missed out last time or is thinking i really want to be a part of this incredible group get over to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and and submit your application now i'm collecting them and then when the doors open again you'll be first in line but do it now because i can't guarantee that there'll be space when we even you know announce that we're opening the doors again if we do that so so please do that um another thing that was super important that we have to talk about before we finish today mark rich said Finishing itself teaches you how to finish. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, you know, these are words of wisdom and they're, they're obvious, but absolutely so important that if you've never finished anything, we've never finished that, but you need to write those words now and put them up on your wall because finishing, getting to the end, that's what, what this is all about. That's why this podcast exists. That's why the Academy exists. That's why you're a writer Mark, you've got your book, you finished it, you know, mm. and I know, and I know my journey has always been the, the, I'm the unfinisher. It's like the unforgiven, yep. right? I'm the, <laughs> I'm the unfinisher. And so, y- you know, finishing back to reality with you was that moment for me. It was like, mm. okay, this can happen. Um, I yeah. predict, I don't know about you, Mark, but I predict about 95% of people who want to write a book have never finished a book. I don't know if you think that's probably about right as well. Do you think? Well, it's, I mean, this is why you have that, that, uh, I think, I mean, you, you spoke about this. You, you could, you got to about 20,000 words. Some people get to about 30,000 words because that's the point where you need to start making hard choices about your story. Openings are kind of easy. 
they're all fun and games. You know, they're mm. they're you can have, re- but then sooner or later you need to get okay. Do we go through that door? Or do we go through that door? And if I go through that door, there's going to be three other doors through there, and there's three other doors through there, and I, I can't go through those doors if I don't go through that door. You know, so it's um. It, you start, you know, but if you've been through the process, you know, I can come back through that door and go through that door. I rewrite, you know, I can rethink things. So, um, yeah, finishing is everything. And we've always said, you know, don't worry if your first draft is sucky because you can rewrite it and make it even better next time. Yeah. So if you're struggling with your book today and you've been struggling with the book for the last 10 years, wherever you're at, just make a declaration to yourself or even better, send it to us send it to us right now and say, I'm declaring that this year I'm going to get to the end, the end of whatever it is, first draft, the end of plotting your book. You know, it doesn't even have to be, you know, the, the, the finished version that's on Amazon, the end, whatever that is for you get there because man, is it build muscles and, and Rich is a great example. Of that. I mean, you know, Rich is becoming quite, has, be, has been very prolific and that's because he's finished things. In fact, you can't be prolific unless you finish things ultimately. <laughs> um, if you start thinking about, think about the beginning of the podcast, Mark, think about what you had done. I mean, you were prolific with screen screenplays, which you'd written, but now you're starting to like, I'm starting to look at your bookshelf thinking, blimey, he's starting to pop them out. It's like, <laughs> I've I've written four books. You've actually you know, got a collection uh, of books, which I mean, and yeah, that's what happens, yeah. right? And it and it's it suddenly, you know, once you get into that groove, it starts to happen, and you know, and that's in just four years. So, where's that going to be in five years from now, ten years from now? So, I just want to really well, encourage I'm people. Contractually, contractually, I've got to do two well, more. You've got to do two things, more. So, you see, know. that's and that's where it gets brilliant in the sense that you've actually then got to get them done. So, I love it. I, and I want to just thank Rich for coming on the show because I, I, Rich, you are a dime, a superstar. I mean, just love, love how you present it. So much for us to take from this interview. So many inspiring kind of ideas, and just also just as an example of how to be, um, you know, how to be enthusiastic about your work. And be confident in your work, but you know, never. You know, I didn't. It's, it's, he just, he just hit it perfectly with how he pitched yeah. everything. And I, yeah. I want to go read that book now. It sounds brilliant. Cooking for cannibals. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, Mark, let's do some social media before we finish up today. We'll whisper through a few things. There's so much to go through. Some of the if if we if we don't mention you this week, we'll do you next week. But uh, a lot of people kicking off the 200 words a day challenge. So Susan O'Neill, who is at Bookie O'Neill on Twitter, uh, she's banking her words every day. Although she says homeschooling has sapped me a lot this week, so writing rate has suffered a bit the last couple of days. But I'm clinging onto my 200 words a day, and next week my writing group starts up again, so there'll be deadlines to answer to. So Susan, hang in there, keep going. You're doing fantastically. Um, Norfolk Days on Twitter who is at Simple Simon Say Nine. Over the past four days, a total of twelve hundred words on the two hundred words a day challenge. So Simple Simon Say Nine, fantastic, absolutely brilliant. So congratulations, um, J W Atkinson. Now, just to say, we're do- we're launching a bunch of mini episodes called Academy All Stars, where we talk to people who've done extraordinary things in our academy. Uh, Josh Atkinson, J W Atkinson, he he did fifty two short stories in a year last year for his patrons. And one of the things he told me was that he loves writing in his car. So he drops his kids off somewhere and writes in the car. And, you know, he just tweeted the other day, 290 day, 292 words before work. So happy I found my fortress of solitude. And he's pictured the inside of his car. And it <laughs> occurred to me, actually, a lot of my first plays, because I was a sales rep for a publisher driving all over the country, I wrote in laybys. I'd park up, have my lunch, write a few words, and then go off and do my afternoon appointments. So, you know, the car is a great place to write when you're parked. When you're parked, not while you're hurtling down the motorway. So you know, unless you've got unless you've got um, a Tesla, of course, and you can just like stick it on all the time. <laughs> <laughs> who's the, who's going to be the first author to write a book in a Tesla whilst they're driving somewhere? There you go. Challenge, challenge yeah, accepted. Yeah. Uh, and just very quickly, finally, um, we mentioned briefly last week, uh, one of our BXP members wrote a children's book, Dinosaurs, Jetpacks and Rock Stars. That was Andy Chapman. And I said, oh, we co-wrote it with an author called Cassidy Shade. Cassidy's his daughter. He's, it's a daddy-daughter. It's a da- daughter-father team writing Brilliant. this book, which is just amazing. And it's inspired a couple of other people in the group to go, oh, 
I might give that a go. So um, good luck. Let us know if you're a father, daughter, mother, daughter, mother, son. If you're a if you're a family team, let us know how that's going. Now we've got a whole ton of public declarations. I'm going to do those in the next episode. So uh, keeping it keeping your open for those. But thank you everyone for getting t- getting in touch. And do drop us a line. Let us know how you're getting on. Let us know what your writing dreams are. We're on Facebook. We're at Bestseller Experiment, and Twitter and Instagram is at Bestseller XP. Or come and find us at BestsellerExperiment.com, and then you'll see a contact tab and drop us a line via email brilliant and just a couple of other uh, links for you as well if you want to get your application for the academy get your phones out now and type in the url academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and if you would like to join the 200 word challenge we have a new web address a nice easy one for you all to remember it's simply two 200wordchallenge.com so get over there try it for a week and you'll get one nearly one and a half thousand words written in the next kind of uh seven days try it and you will find that you may be able to create a writing habit for life at least this next year you could you could do some incredible things that we've seen i mean you listened to previous episodes recently of the stories of people have written you know, quarter of a million words when they just were trying to initially start out writing 200 words a day. So do get involved with that, folks. If you are listening to this and you're not writing daily, this is your way to start, 200wordchallenge.com. So thank you very much, Mr. Stay. It's been great. And if you Mm. have got a new book that has just arrived like Mark, send us a photo of you sniffing it. I think that's going to be our new gallery (laughs) on Instagram. We want people's noses in books. For this year, that's one of our themes there we go. Oh, if you're on YouTube, you can see Mark having another sniff. Um, because it's it's a wonderful moment. And we want to celebrate that sniff with you. Absolutely. So do send us your sniff page photo. Thanks so much, Mark. It's been great. And we'll see everyone. We're back next week. We're doing weeklies in January. So thanks so much for joining us. And have a great writing week. So goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.